are listening to Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. Hey guys, this is Christopher Seals, and welcome to a very special edition of the Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher podcast. Wayne and I just came down the mountain from our school's beginning of the year um, spiritual life retreat, um, and we had a guest speaker there um, speaking to our students, Eric Holstrom um, from Purpose Church in Pomona, California. Um, And we decided since we were all together, we would record a sort of co-podcast. And so um, Eric is the the regular host of the Purpose HSM podcast. If you uh, search that in the iTunes store, it should come right up. Um, it's for the Purpose Church High School Ministry podcast. Um, and they have a expressed interest in having real and raw and honest conversations um, about the things that really matter the most. Um, they talk theology and culture. Um, and they, they wrestle with the questions that their listeners send in, which is um, predominantly students and parents and church members um, from their ministry. Um, and so we decided to record this podcast together where we talk about the ever so important issue of uh, student doubt um, with a special look at Doubting Thomas. So we hope you enjoy. Well, hey there, here we are. Uh, we are about to have an awesome conversation together. Um, if you're used to listening to the HSM podcast, uh, we got before us two guys here. Um, what if we just go around and maybe introduce ourselves real quick, kind of what we do, um, and sort of why we're passionate about the topic of doubt. And then we open up the conversation. Sweet. Right. Uh, my name is Wayne Randolph, and I teach Bible. I almost said Boible. I teach Bible. I'm a Bible instructor at a private high school in Southern California, and I've been. I'm at a new one now, but I've been doing this for almost a decade now in the classroom. I worked in Christian education and universities, and, and doing stuff. Uh, why am I passionate about this, though? Um, I, my, my life goal was not to be a Bible teacher. Uh, I don't even know if it was to be a teacher at all. But um, as I was um, trying to navigate myself uh, uh, through the Christian culture growing up um, and then rebelling against it, um, uh, when I came back to God, I guess the simplest thing I can say is um, I got this passion to um, want to share that with other people. Um, especially people um, within the Christian culture um, who've grown up in it, because I, I feel like sometimes it's hard to find Jesus there. And so, yeah, that, that led me to teaching. And, and now, so talking about doubt and anything with students um, is just rad to me because, uh, man, I needed people walking alongside me. So now I get to be that person. And to my left is this guy. I am this guy. I am Christopher Seals. I am a, Wayne said a Bible instructor, and I'm a theology teacher. Uh, wow. So official. I know. I think we actually have, uh, what, is, what is our department called? We're called the Bible department. Yeah. Uh, but we're teachers at the same school. Um, I don't remember all the other things I was supposed to say. But I also, Why do you think doubt's an important thing to process? Yeah, I, think, I think doubt is such an important thing to process um, because without processing through doubt, we're just playing the game. We're just playing the, the say the right answers um, version of spirituality, which we all know um, doesn't end very well, um, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, all that. 
That's good. Well, I'm Eric. Uh, I am not cool enough to be at a school, so I am a youth pastor, high school pastor at a church, uh, and I think this topic is incredibly important because when we don't give students or young adults or parents or families or educators, whoever we're talking to, permission to doubt, permission to question, then we miss out on that journey of exploration. You know, something happens when um, you're given permission, you're allowed to ask some really big questions and, and not always have the answers right away. There's something I think exciting about that first step towards discovery. And um, here's my question. I, I kind of just have a bunch of thoughts in my mind that I just want to hear your guys' answers to. Is we all work with students, we all interact with families, we all have young adults and adults in our lives. Um, so we're a part of a biblical tradition, mm-hmm. um, uh, a few thousand years old tradition where wrestling with God, asking big questions, doubts, Um, I mean, I think of the Psalms, right? There's Mm. over 60 Psalms of lament. Psalm Mm -hmm. 77 says, God, why have you rejected me? Have I lost your favor, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got Thomas, who I want to talk about a little bit, who literally doubts the resurrection. Like, if there's one thing you're not allowed to doubt, it's the resurrection. (laughs) And Thomas doubts it. We've got Jesus, who is more known for asking questions of people and wrestling. Why do you guys think nowadays that is such a threatening thing in our culture and especially as followers of Jesus when we come from this rich biblical um, Jewish Christian tradition of asking questions, wrestling, um, doubting? Why do you think it's something that we try to avoid when it seems like we're given so much permission in Scripture and in our tradition? Yeah, I, that's an excellent question. And I think part of it is um, that oftentimes we will confuse um, our our philosophical understanding of the world with our faith. And not saying that our faith shouldn't be the central piece of our philosophical understanding of the world, but I think that sometimes we put something like modernity or scientific naturalism or um, some other philosophical um, perspective, and we have that secretly pulling on all the levers of our life underneath our Christianity. So almost like even if we say something like scripture is authoritative and the Bible is the inspired word of God and it's our way of the thing that we should read and listen to in the way that we live our lives, though we say that, the really behind the curtain pulling all the levers is modernity. Um, and if we talk about modernity, um, one of the things that naturally creeps in the door is certainty and an optimistic type of certainty that says, I can know all the answers if I just do enough work, if I just research enough, if I just study enough, then eventually I can possess all of the knowledge necessary to have total command of a topic. Mm-hmm. Instead, if we actually looked at the text that we said is sacred, like you were saying, we'd realize that the Bible is not a modern text. Um, it is a pre-modern text, very long pre-modern. And not just as a pre-modern, it, even, even our scripture doesn't just fit into one of those time periods, one of those categories. Since it spans thousands of years, you have different philosophies coming in and out of vogue. Um, but at the same time, we have this conversation of humanity and how to process um, th- God that they are experiencing. Um, so I, w- I would say, yeah, that, that like the philosophy under um, our Christianity is modernity, which yeah. is probably why we hate post-modernity so much is because we think that when post-modernity comes around, it's actually against Christianity right. when in reality it's against modernity. Right. And I think that's where I want to pick up. Those, those are, man, 
Those are good things to chew on right there. But even then, if you think about who, um, uh, I use the phrase, the phrase sometimes like the old guard, right? Like who, who's kind of like passing these things down to us. Um, and you think about the people who taught us, um, and then the other adults that are taught or that are teaching, you know, other, other groups. Um, so you've got this old cohort, right? This old generation who, um, whose certainty and empiricism and these things are extremely important. Um, and they have, um, not only, uh, kind of made that the foundation of their faith, it's also part of their identity. And so when, when this new generation comes in to be taught by this older generation, um, we're, we're speaking two different languages to each other. And so I think some of the fear, um, I'm, I'm kind of guessing, and I I kind of feel like a bridge sometimes, by the way, as the teacher. And that's kind of another thing is like, I kind of have like... I know how to talk to the old ones, and I, yeah. I, uh, I hope. I mean, I get paid to talk to the young ones. So I, I hope I know how to talk to them. But um, what I notice a lot some, some oftentimes is, is just this kind of fear and, uh, of the other, yeah. um, even within that, right? And yeah. so, like, not even trusting. Um, so, like, even like Chris says, like, so what do, we, what do we naturally do? We compartmentalize postmodern or anything postmodern within the Christian culture. We, we kind of use that in a mm-hmm. negative, negative aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you have a dominant culture out there who, um, who values doubt and skepticism, um, then we get really nervous and get really scared sometimes. Um, and I think like, kind of like what Chris was saying too, is that it, maybe it exposes maybe where our faith actually is. Um, and if our faith is more in the, like in the, just in the evidence, um, then yeah, we, we, we might have some of the issues that we're having now, you know? And one of the things I I love to remind my students and you, you mentioned it, Eric is, um, like this idea of like wrestling with God, like, um, it's not ironic. I don't think it's lost on any of us that, that Israel, like God's chosen people, Mm -hmm. like the name Israel means to wrestle with God. Like, like we're called. And and then, and then Chris is talking about this book that we read these 66 books and, you know, thousands of years and it's just about people wrestling and they're always trying to understand it through their context. And, um, so I don't think we should fear wrestling. So I like, I like to remind my students that like, it's okay. And and it's not just like Israel said like, Hey, this is who we want to be. Like God's like, no, I'm going to change your name. And right. And then I think you and I were talking the other day, like in in this, the oldest book in Job at the end of that story, this crazy story, Mm -hmm. God doesn't really give any answers for some of um, Job's questions, but he does, he does give him props for questioning, right? Like cool that you did that. Cool that you did that. And then just the last thing there. And then, um, I like to remind my students, like, we, we, we don't need to be afraid. Yeah. Like, we do not need mm-hmm. to be afraid. If, if we are, if Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, like, if yeah. he is truth, he's the embodiment yeah. of truth, um, and then we're, I guess, you know, children of truth then, yeah. um, then we seek truth, and we shouldn't be afraid totally. to ask any sort of totally. question. If anything, it should be, at least my hope would be that it's a little bit more childlike, yeah. like in the exploration, where, yeah. like, everything then has some sort of sense yeah. of wonder, because... Because we can wrestle with it. I know? love I love that, you guys. And I think, you know, Jesus even models that for us. I think of the Gethsemane moment where Jesus is in the garden and it's, it's hours until his trial, torture, ultimately murder takes place. And in the garden, he pulls Peter, James, and John aside and he says to them, guys, I'm sorrowful to the point of death, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets really vulnerable, really honest. And I love these moments in, in the Gospels where we see the humanity of Jesus. And yeah. so he goes, uh, I'm sorrowful to the point of death. Stay with me. Pray with me. And then moments later, he's talking with his father. He's talking with his heavenly father. And in that moment, he says, if there's any other way for you to take right. this cup, like I'd be down with plan B. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm yeah. up for plan B if you've got yeah. one. And I love that because it's like, 
the God, the guy, right? Like God in a bod gives us permission mm. to wrestle, gives us permission to be honest with each other mm-hmm. um, and honest with God. So here's what I'd love to do is I want to look at a text with you guys and maybe ask you like specific questions from this text. So sure. I think there's, there's, there's some really cool stuff. <laughs> Wayne's like, what, what John passage? <laughs> yeah. So John is a gospel uh, in John chapter 20 <laughs> in John chapter 20. Uh, there's this guy, Thomas, who just gets dubbed doubting Thomas. And, um, you know, he's like not supposedly the hero of the story, but in some ways he actually is the hero of the story. If you, if you study his life and find out he was actually the first missionary to go to India and all this cool stuff. But I think it's sort of, um, it's a, it's a guide. It's a pathway to to doubt in a way that's faithful and to doubt in a way that's really cool. So I wanted to draw a few things. So in, in the story, Thomas, um, he's with, and this is John chapter 20, verse 24 to 28. Um, Thomas isn't with the disciples when the disciples see Jesus rise from the dead. And they're absolutely amazed. Thomas always, you know, misses the boat. He's watching the pay-per-view. He's hanging out with some girls. I don't know what he's doing, but he's not in the right room at the right time. And so the disciples come to him and say, Thomas, like Jesus has risen from the dead. And the first thing out of his mouth is, I don't believe it. Like I, I'm, I'm not convinced. Right. And so I think the very first thing that we see in this text that's affirmed is Thomas is real about his doubts, right? He's able yeah. to be absolutely real. The second thing that happens that to me is even more powerful. I mean, again, he's doubting the resurrection. Like if there is one non-negotiable core belief to us as followers of Jesus is that he rose from the dead. Thomas doubts it. He's real about his doubt. And then the text says a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And this is where I want to pause and get your guys feedback. Two observations I make right there. Number one on Thomas's end. So I want to talk to the doubters for a second. And then we'll talk to those who have friends who are doubting or family members who are doubting. For the doubter, Thomas, he chooses to remain in the community. I mean, he's come out and said, I'm not believing in the resurrection. I just, I can't believe it unless I touch it, see it, feel it. I'm just, I I can't go there with you guys. The text says a week later, Thomas is with them. So the first question that I want to hear from you guys, I want to hear a little discussion around is, um, you know, he chooses to remain. The doubter chooses to remain. Um, The second angle is that the disciples make room. Okay, so they make room for him to doubt. And I think that's so critical that it's not just like Thomas doubts and then books it and says, I'm done with this community. But he chooses to remain and then they choose to provide room. Um, What do you guys think, maybe from other personal experience or things you've seen, what does it look like and what's the value in remaining a part of the community, remaining connected to this ancient story um, that we're living into when honestly you're doubting and we're talking about real life doubts, not like, you know, I, I don't know, not the free will, the predestination, but something like real where you're going, I'm just not sure this story makes sense anymore to me. What, what's the, what's the significance of remaining? What does that look like? How do we do that? Maybe practically, um, so at a philosophical or practical level, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think one of the first thing that things that come to my mind is, um, the humility that it must take for, Thomas to remain in that community because even even in doubt he's still willing to participate in the community that is not doubting. Now I I'm pretty sure that Thomas wasn't the only one with doubt because the I think in the Matthew version of the text um, he says the text says and some of them doubted right um, so we know that he wasn't alone in his doubt but nevertheless he's still choosing to participate in a, a, this community of faith um, even if they 
even if some of the members of that community of faith hadn't seen Jesus. Um, and so the humility that it requires to stay in that place, I think, is is huge because I think a lot of times, even in, in some of my own um, experiences of doubt, um, humility has not been the primary um, characterization of that doubt. Um, it's usually um, angst or I know better or, man, if these um, silly people with their backwards beliefs would just get themselves straight, then maybe they could think right like me, um, which, like, I would never say that out loud, but let's be real. Yeah, like that stuff happens. When you're in moments of doubt, it's easy for your heart to go to that place. I, I think I've said that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. But yeah. I then think, the humbling came, right? Yeah, but th- th- I think that that's the main thing that stands out to me about at, at least Thomas's role. Yeah. yeah, he he voices it, but he does it apparently with enough humility to still participate in the community mm-hmm. that he's that they're still in table fellowship, that they're still hanging out at each other's houses. Yeah, yeah. The, the two things... The, the teacher part of me real quick, um, and, and I don't know this, so I'm, I'm going to ask you, you boys, but, um, you know, there, there was a worldview at that time, you know, there's a, a major part of the, of the Jewish tradition that just did not even believe in, in resurrection. And, and I, we know that Jesus had a pretty interesting cross section of, of the Jewish culture, you know, following him. So, um, you know, at the very least, I think, I think one of the things that it's important, even looking at that text is. Making Just sure. for our listeners, real yeah. quick, maybe those that aren't like as Bible savvy, are you talking about the Sadducees at that point? Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah, yeah. so one of the sects that followed Jesus had just had no room for resurrection. Yeah, in yeah. Their so, language. so when when Jesus talks about resurrection and people are talking about it, you, you see some of these little these little dialogues happening in the Gospels where um, they don't believe that, but it's also this idea for for some that it's it's a sign of of what's to come, and so there is there is expectation there, but. Um, I think the thing for me with with Thomas um, is that it shows it shows um, his logic um, that he's not only ruled by emotion, um, but then I, I might contradict myself in a second when I say that because, um, you know, he, he's been walking he's been walking with God in the flesh. Uh, he's been walking with this amazing teacher who who is actualizing you know the the Torah in front of him, who, who's who's living it out, not like anybody they'd ever seen before. Um, and there, there's something compelling about this teacher and there's something compelling about the way that Jesus lives and talks. And, um, and so what I, I love for me with Thomas, um, is when he hears that he's, he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't buy it, but it doesn't, doesn't change what I've experienced. And I think that that's really big because I mean, like I, I'm even dealing with like some, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And that's the thing, phrase. Right? That's, that's exactly it. And I, and I think, um, you know, back to, back to that idea of, of talking to kind of different generations and this and that. If we have a skeptical generation, uh, if we have a generation who, who maybe picks and choose what they want to believe, um, you know, what is that one compelling thing about Jesus? And, and if a kid still has, if they're holding on to that with their doubt, um, then it's my duty, you know, kind of the second part of your question, it's my duty um, as a as a member of this family, as a, as a teacher, as one who's discipling, um, to hold on to that thread, and and to remind students, you know. And so one of the questions or one of the comments I have with students sometimes when they have doubts is like, but but what's up with Jesus, right? And so we kind of have that talk, and it's like, okay, it's like don't you don't need to abandon him yet, right? You don't need to walk away from him yet. If you're having struggles here, that's that's cool, you know. But 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 don't. Don't you dare misinterpret your doubt for like this whole thing's a sham 
or or start questioning your experiences or what you what you know to be true before. Mm. Um, does that, does that's that does make sense? Yeah. 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 So that would be that would be. Well, I think that's that's huge right there. Like that humility component of of just recognizing, hey, maybe I don't have the full picture yet. That even even as and we've all had those right when you have those doubts, it's because. You feel as though, oh man, these people are idiots. They're not thinking as thoroughly or as deeply about the topic as I am. Um, and yet just an awareness that there are always smarter people around us. There are always wiser or more thoughtful people around us. And um, I think the, f- the fear with doubt, like the whole uh, – you, you were bringing up, Chris, like the – post-modernity, the modernity conversation, the sense of empirical evidence, knowing that all right now is essential, and if I don't, then what do I know anymore, really ties into what you were talking about, Wayne, about that sense of valuing what you do sort of hold, say, what you do feel convinced about, and then, but being honest, right? Being honest to say, on this topic, on this issue, on this experience, on this scripture, this passage, whatever, I'm not sure and I'm not convinced, which goes, I think, to the next topic. And I think this is maybe we can have a larger conversation around this. And this is where, you know, we as people, all of us are committed to the local church, right? And I I don't know if I'd want to be having this conversation with people who weren't committed to local church because I think it's a dangerous conversation. But it's how do we how do we be and have churches that reflect you know this this New Testament church that allows room that a week later right they prov- they allow so much room for Thomas to hang out with them that even when somebody is doubting core beliefs um, there's still enough room for them to be a part of the community um, how do we create churches like that because um, I'd almost go as far to say like if anyone you know is, is a part of a church where it's not okay to question it's not okay to doubt it's not okay to wrestle. I, I, I question, is that a New Testament church? Is that a kind uh, of church? I'll, I'll go as far as to say, yeah, you, sh- you right. should you should sit down with whoever's in charge to have that talk. And, right. and if your red flags are still going, bye-bye. Find a church where, <laughs> where those kind of conversations are permitted yeah. because, as we're going to see in a moment, Jesus does not chastise him. Yeah. He doesn't yell at him. No. Um, he actually answers his questions. He literally addresses his questions head on. So let's let's have that conversation. How do we, as the church... Um, and you know, whether it's a house church, yeah. a s- small church, maybe I'd even love to hear your thoughts in a mega church context. How do we, um, <laughs> how do we provide room yeah. for people to doubt? What does that look like? Have you yeah. had those experiences in churches? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I think, uh, like? I think not that long ago there was a term that was used and I, I think now it's, we kind of, I think it's kind of a, a, a dark term, but this idea of like a seeker service, maybe not a dark term, but it's kind of like, it's kind of, yeah. It sounds, <laughs> How dare sudden, you cuss All of a sudden like I made it demonic, right? <laughs> no, but I mean like it's, it, I think we kind of look back and like, okay, I mean that was another marketing strategy that, that may or may not, you know, have worked mm. in the grand scheme of things. So, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. There, there's this, there's this quote that I, I, I got to use at school the other day, um, from Tozer. Uh, and, um, he says, uh, have you ever thought about it when, when a hundred pianos are all tuned in to the same, um, it's not a pitchfork. Tuning fork. Tuning fork. <laughs> uh, to the same tuning fork. You know, have you, ever, have you ever thought about that, that they're simultaneously, like as a result, they're simultaneously in tune with one another mm-hmm. as well. And um, so I, I would like to think that um, if there is a church a community, uh, you know, of believers where where stuff like that is not happening, where, where you can express doubt. There's a place for that. Uh, and maybe any other 
symptom of of sickness um, that you might want to see like really are are we in tune with God or are we doing something else um, and that that might be kind of like big and lofty of a thing, but it just seems like like if we are in tune with God um, then we want others to get in tune and I didn't get to where I'm at all of a sudden, and I also haven't arrived. I, I'm still kind of arriving. Um, and so just, I guess, uh, I don't know, to simplify that, um, uh, humility, uh, I don't know, die to ourselves. <laughs> There's kind of ideas like, um, and really just um, wanting to create a place where you can, you can pursue God. Um, that sounds probably really like idealistic and mm. there's nothing really tangible I gave you well, there. But. I, I think that there is something tangible about what you said in that. Uh, I think that you're, you're pointing to the fact that it, it's necessary to have space for that. But I almost think that we can even take it a step further and say that we can, we can value the role of mm. doubters in the church. Yeah. Um, because I mean, thinking about Paul's metaphor of this one body with many functions, many yeah. callings, I, I almost feel like the, those who doubt, and I mean, those who doubt like Thomas, with mm. humility, who are willing to stay part of the community, who yeah. aren't a, a toxic source just trying to tear apart community yeah, and make people good. feel dumb. But those who doubt, um, they almost like are the, the quality assurance department, right? <laughs> like if there's no one checking our logic, if there's That's no one qu- checking our thoughts, no one checking mm. um, the things that we do and experience, if there's no one asking those questions, yeah. um, then what we end up sort of in a culture of yes men yeah. um, who are just nodding their heads at yeah. everything that's being said. And like, I'll, I mean, honestly, that that's what one of the markers of cults, yeah. right? And so if there's no space for skepticism or doubt, then, then we don't have an authentic um, Christian faith. What we end up having is, is a cult that, that doesn't mirror exactly what we see in this right. text. And, and so and Paul, oh, I'm sorry, you're, you're going to say more of that. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I was just going to say that it, I think that what we need is we need a space for it. I I think that the quality assurance department doesn't need to be in, like we don't need someone in the middle of um, like our intimate time of worship where we're talking about (laughs) how we feel so close with Jesus to be like, well, have you considered the starving children in Africa? Um, We don't need that guy like in the, in that place because there's a time and a place for that sort of conversation. But I think it's in making that space um, then, then it can perform that function in the body. Yeah. So I, I have a question for both of you guys then is like, what does that look like practically? Right. This is coming from me who like <laughs> likes to kind of exist way up there and talk yeah. about these lofty ideas. But it also got me thinking when you talk about like quality assurance, like when Paul, um, actually like applauses, uh, um, the Bereans, right? Like, like, like the mind of the Berean, like you didn't just accept these things. Like you went and looked at it. You, yeah. you went with the kind of a, this, this critical, like, yeah. Not hyper hypercritical, right? But yeah. like this critical, like you're gonna go and look and see like, what's up with this, and right. I like that. The Bereans were a group. Uh, that, which church were they at? Berea. Is that Berea, Acts 17? Thank you. The Bible guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so, yeah. I mean that, that that's that's kind of where I wanted to press too, and so I may do a little deflection here. Oh. I may share a little bit, but Wayne, I I think you know. I'm thinking like worship services. Like, what is, what is, what, how do you provide room in worship services? What does that look like? How do you um, not just provide room in worship services, but. But. 
but <laughs> maybe the next maybe the next question would be how do you provide room in a life group setting so like you're in a small group you're in some kind of tight-knit community maybe in I, I think of the church and you know there's there's the big thing that happens and then there's hopefully the small connection intimacy that happens what do you guys think when it comes to the big thing yep. what is allowing room for doubt and then when it comes to the small thing um what does providing room look like yeah. I'll, I'll go Probably more from a small thing and perspective. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. Maybe we can all three share. And I'm going to go from my classroom, which is just is where I'm comfortable. So we go through we go through texts and we go through um, different information. Um, and you know, again, we're in a classroom setting, so there's information that they have to regurgitate so they can they can get a letter grade, right? So you have that whole <laughs> whole issue. But one of the things that I, I really make sure to to do is to make space for times of questions and answers. Um, and so with that, what what I have done. Um, uh, so this is the beginning of a new school year right now. Um, so as I introduce this to my students who don't have context for my classroom, um, probably what we'll do is I'll tell them, hey, it's anonymous question time. And they get to put anything they want on a piece of paper. And yeah, and you get some dumb, you know, I teach ninth graders uh, and, and, and other grades, right? And so you get some dumb questions, but it gives them an opportunity to maybe ask those questions that they didn't, they don't feel comfortable. Um, like you said, they didn't know. I mean, I, I kind of grew up that way. Didn't knowing it was okay. I didn't know it was okay to ask these questions. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's even just that initial thing, like saying it's okay. I'm asking you to do this. Um, what I tell them there is that we start reading those things, man, sometimes I'm going to say, I don't know. Sometimes we're going to say, Hey, let's go look into that together. Um, other, so there's, there's different ways to do it. And I think it comes down to the modeling again. Wow. That's a great question, man. I wrestle with that one too. Uh, here, here's, here's what I've, here's what I've come to, to know, or here, here's something in scripture, or I don't know that, like I said, you know, like, let's go, let's go look at that together. What that turns into anonymous questions quickly turns into, uh, within a few weeks, I'm just sitting in a circle, a little kumbaya style and just like, Hey guys, we read through John today. What are some things that were just weird? And so I even ask them. Um, and so I, I think part of it is us setting, setting that, climate, that tone. Um, it's okay to call the Bible strange. It's a weird book. There's weird stuff in there. There's talking donkeys and dudes knocking out fools with donkey jawbones, And there's weird stuff in there. It's written. It's Lots yeah, a lot of donkeys. donkeys. Yeah. It's, it's written in dead languages. I mean, there's just, it's a weird text. And so, so to, to think that we just read it and we understand it, I just tell my kids like you guys, th that's ridiculous. No one can yeah. do that. And there's kind of this collective sigh, sigh of relief. Like, yeah. Oh, Oh, Wayne, that's oh, Okay, huge. cool. So then Mr. Randolph, so, yeah. and, then they, and then the questions come out. Well, I even think, Wayne, I mean, I think you literally hit on something that's huge right there in saying, like, it's okay to ask questions of the text. And I think this is where some of our, you know, I, I think all generations have lost the passionate pursuit of really understanding the text in a deep way because they've lost the art of being able to ask the questions and go, why is that in there? That doesn't make any sense. That scares me. Really? Right? Like those kind of questions are, I think, unsafe in a totally. lot of evangelical totally. settings. Because we're, and a lot of it has to do with our certainty. Right. Right. Because when you ask me, so was it a literal worldwide flood? Right. Right. So you either have to ask, you have yeah. to say yes. Yeah. Or you have to say, I don't know. The science is telling, I, I, yeah. I, uh, you know what I mean? Yep. You have that stutter. Or if we just say, well, I don't know. It's weird. Let's look. Yeah. Uh, when you brought that up, just really quick, um, what is Jesus commended for uh, in Luke uh, when, when his parents can't find him and they go back? Yeah. And it says, like, like he was impressing everybody with what? Mm. His questions and answers. Mm. That's what he was oh, impressing good. people with when he was 12, right? It, wow. it, was, it was his ability to interact in the art of Midrash, mm. of, of, mm. of wrestling with the text and, yeah. and looking at it from a different angle that someone 
everyone else didn't look at it and, yeah. it, and it blew people away. Right. Not because I didn't think he was doing anything oogly boogly with his deity. I think he was a phenomenal student, which is yeah. why he ends up being rabbi. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And so he knows that. And so then he models that for his students. Yeah. So, wow, actually good on Thomas, right? Yeah, what a right? great, what a great what disciple a to yeah. model what his, his teacher rabbi yeah, taught him yeah. to do. So I think, and I want to hear Chris's thoughts. I want to say to the, when you're thinking small group setting, I'm kind of thinking small group, life group setting, um, affirming, huge, right? Like just, just the willingness to say, this is a safe place to ask questions. And when you ask questions, you won't be chastised, right? And that's, and we're going to see that in a second. Jesus, literally, there's no ounce of guilt in Jesus' statement. What Jesus does speak to Thomas but he doesn't speak to him out of a place of guilt or you idiot. You've walked with me for three years. How could you think these things? Um, he actually answers his questions in a very uh, honoring, powerful, life-changing way for Thomas. Um, so I think in, in small group setting, allowing permission, um, and then I think modeling it as leaders. So here's where here's where I'm going, you know, and I, I'm thinking about your guys' audience, particularly like educators and counselors and leaders, and for me, teachers, preachers, small group leaders, um, parents even, like, you know, to, to doubt or to have questions or to wrestle can be seen as a weakness or can be seen as um, a deficiency, a deficit totally, in your faith. Totally, and I want to jump in there just really quick with a practical thing there, and and um, this is by way of my own experience, but also working with these young these young minds. Um, it is so important if you get a ridiculous question. Right. If someone asks you a ridiculous question, um, the best thing you can do is tell them that it's stupid and it's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, like, so it's parents, cl- 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 clearly I'm being Keep sarcastic. listening, yeah, Keep clearly listening. Being, but but just acknowledging and, and validating the other person's experience. I'm um, just telling that person, wow, I hear you in my mind. I might think, man, I've never had that question. It yeah. seems stupid. It seems it's like good. a dumb doubt, but if someone is willing, mm-hmm. these kids are so frightened in the Christian culture to actually like stand up and ask like a, a Christian Bible question. Yeah. So they're willing to ask a question. Yeah. And then those of us in some sort of position of authority yeah. in their life, yeah. if we can't even just validate yeah, and, and, so and just start there, um, and I'm guilty of that. I, I'm, I'm guilty of telling a student that's a stupid question. Right, right. Um, and, and there are such things as dumb questions. What, what we need to do is help them ask better questions, which is right. kind of in the beginning of right. what you're talking about here. Which, be, which begins by validating the heart that's undergirding that. Two comments I want to make. Number one, um, you know, for me, this was one of the one of the powerful things about the home I grew up in is I never knew whether my parents were Democrats or Republicans. I didn't know where they stood on um, some of those kind of issues. I mean, there were some, there were some definitely um, powerful biblical understandings of what my parents believed, but um, my house was a really safe place to ask questions and to wrestle. And I think because there wasn't as much, you know, around secondary issues or even, I don't I mean, resurrection here. It was, it, was a, it was a safe environment to say, can we talk about this and for it to be well-received. Um, Google just did this uh, really interesting survey. They were trying to figure out what it is that makes their highest performing teams so awesome. So they surveyed, I think, 180 teams over a two- to five-year span, and essentially what they found out is that their most successful, awesome teams that were performing high and thriving and enjoying working together, that the thing that they all had in common was they valued and 
and they exhibited psychological safety. That was the word, that was the phrase they came up with, psychological safety. And it, it literally meant that anyone on that team had the permission and the freedom to ask the question, what's the goal behind this? Like, why are we doing this thing? Um, and I think that's such a, such a profound um, dynamic that needs to be at place in our churches is that kind of freedom and that kind of sense of, hey, like, it's okay to question. It's okay to wrestle. And maybe, maybe by doubting, the community actually is able to move forward and get to a deeper, more profound, more authentic faith, kind of like you're talking about, Chris, be like needing that quality control, that that team of people that mm-hmm. will say, hey, let's ask some of these questions again and make sure we're all on the same page about them. Yeah. Um, and I think that dynamic in communities is essential for growth. Right. And that sort of um, dynamic is especially um, important in in communities of peers. Um, like all of these Google workers, they're going to be in w- with their coworkers who are their peers. Um, but those of us who are parents or teachers or, um, or ministers or whatever your title is. Uh, reverend. <laughs> reverend. The reverend. Um, those of us who have those sorts of titles in when we are in leadership or mentorship roles over students or younger people who are experiencing doubt, um, one of the temptations we need to hold back from is, is solving their doubt for them. Because in our own experience of doubt, sometimes maybe we've, we've gone through, maybe we have asked the same exact Mm -hmm. question in the past that a student is asking. And the temptation sometimes is to be Google, um, not the teams that you're talking about, but like, just be the answer man that says, yes, (laughs) that says, Hey, this is, I went through that one time and here's the seven steps that I went through. And so just go through these and you'll be fine. Or, um, Oh, I hear that doubt, but here's a really good answer. Listen to this podcast by William Lane Craig or whatever it is, we can sort of co-opt their own process. See, and that's huge because I feel like the real answers to these doubts, they come from students and young adults and people having authentic encounters with Jesus, right? right? So that's what we see Thomas do is, and and the disciples, I'm sure they played a role in that. They helped get him in the right room. They were encouraging him along the way. They provided room for him. But uh, ultimately, it was through an encounter with Christ that Thomas, um, you know, was was changed and moved by that. So my question to you guys is, um, in light of that, I love the mentor aspect or someone younger than us is doubting or, or younger in the faith. Um, what are some guardrails? So let's talk just real quick. What are some guardrails? What are some ways that we can come alongside those people, providing room for them and those guardrails without answering all their questions, without solving right. all their problems, and without really hijacking them of that pursuit and that that road, that path that they're walking down? Right. I, I think one of the primary guardrails is what we were talking about earlier, the, the necessary humility. And so um, really... I think Wayne and I talk about this a lot, but needing to be intentional about listening to the heart of the student, um, listening to what is the question behind the question. Um, are these are these doubts out of a sincere desire to to know those answers, or out of curiosity, or really wrestling with the idea, or is it their way of acting out because um, their dad's an alcoholic, or because their um, girlfriend just broke up with them? Um, what what is the real story behind the doubt? Um, and so I think w- the first step for us is really to ask those sorts of questions to to get to motive, right, and say, okay. Um, well, how, how did these questions surface? Um, or well, where's 
this, where is this coming from? And asking those sorts of questions, they get, get them even to, to process their own doubt. Cause I think sometimes the questions come out and they, they don't even they know, don't know where they're at. Yeah. They don't know where that, that even yeah. came and from that, that initial process that we're usually doing with them and kind of probing and, and figuring stuff out is, is to figure out our path with them. Yeah. And so some of the stuff that Chris has been talking about is, is, um, more often than not, when I have conversations with, with people who tell me they don't believe in God, which, which is cool, right? those are awesome conversations, when you really just kind of sit and through the context of relationship, it's usually not an intellectual doubt. It's yeah. usually because um, daddy issues again, mommy yeah. issues, a Christian, they went to a Christian private school and that like jacked them up. And, <laughs> and, and, so, and so what I'm trying to do is I'm asking questions and probing, trying to get to, to the surface, the surface or get to the, yeah. get to the, the, the core of the issue. Yeah. Um, is it a is it a sincere doubt, kind of like what Chris is talking about, or is it a cynical doubt? Right. Because if it's a cynical doubt, then right. the way I'm going to interact with you is different. Right. Right. Does that make sense? That's good. Um, and and if it is the sincere doubt, I mean, at least I can tell you a, a few things anecdotally, um, yeah. even over the summer. Um, one of the things that Chris and I will often remind the student is how much we love them, yeah. um, how proud we are of them to even like share that doubt. That might be the first time they're even expressing that out loud and. Whether we like it or not, sometimes the Christian environment is not a safe place yeah. to express those doubts. And so, um, again, it's back to the, you know, acknowledging their experience, you know, yeah, and absolutely. just, and so, you know, we love you, we like you. Um, um, and it's even kind this of, this doesn't change anything. Yeah, this doesn't change anything. And then even, even asking them if they're able to like actively participate in what that process looks yes. like, right? Which is, yes. so what does that look like for Chris and I to, to walk alongside you in this doubt? Yeah. Uh, and so a, a kind of, um, you know, word picture that I paint with the students often is like, we'll, we'll, we'll tie a rope around your waist. Yeah. Like you're still going to be in community. There's someone yeah. still holding on over here. And I know you feel like you're just way out there. Right. And we have, we have a term, right? Like the dark night of the soul. Yeah. Or, you know, you're having one of these existential crises. Like we're here, we're holding the rope and we're yeah. going to let you explore. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is, is we know the value in some of the, the answers that we have Right. Um, we've come to right. have not been because we looked on Google or, or Bible answer man, but because yeah. we had to go by way of experience. Yeah, and so good. we know that that value, and, and I think that's modeled in Jesus yeah. again, Jesus and he's such a jerk sometimes. Yeah. Like he answers questions with questions, right? right? Jesus, you're not a jerk. Sorry. Don't yeah. throw lightning at me. Yeah. You're um, not going to heaven. <laughs> that's that's all I'm going to say. No, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and right. so, so here's Jesus valuing the experience Absolutely. And, 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 and learning kind of learning Absolutely. on your own. And so, that's usually the kind of the, the, the early stuff we do with yeah. kids. I, ha I have a student currently who was experiencing the dark night of the soul this mm -hmm. summer and um, just was like, man, I just, I don't, I just don't know if I'm feeling it. Yeah. I don't know if I believe this stuff anymore. And, yeah. But I, but I still know that there's values. So we kind of did that, right? And it was like, he's like, you know, he's not throwing the baby out with the, yeah. the bathwater yet, but yeah. he's like, I just don't know, Mr. Randolph. Yeah. And it got me thinking about Mother Teresa, mm. who, um, you know, a lot of us didn't find this out until her right. death That's and her right. diary comes out that she was not feeling it at the yeah. end, right? I mean, we're talking about years of her saying, I don't feel you. I don't mm. see you. I don't hear wow. you, Jesus. But she knew, like wow. Thomas, wow. she knew and had enough experience with Jesus right. to not turn her back on what she had before. And right. so my, my advice to this student was actually, well, come serve with me. Yeah. That's, and it was the, the homeless yeah. ministry I was telling you about earlier. Yeah. And so I told him, I was like, dude, you're all freaking out over where Jesus is, this and that. I'm like, he's waiting for you on the street. Like, yeah. let's just go work with him. That's right. And, That's and right. Don't, don't think about it and don't do this. Let's just go work. And then yeah. let's just see what happens. Let's you know what I mean? Like, yep. And I'm not some like spiritual doctor. It's like... You know, go feed three homeless dudes and a Hail Mary, you know, and then you'll be good. Pet two dogs. And I think Hail Mary is a yeah. football term. I, that is no, nice. Sorry. I know nothing but, about football, so. But, um, but you know what I mean? So, but yeah. it, was, it was just like, no, like just 
stop sitting here in your funk and yeah. like let's go out and do some do stuff something. and remind maybe maybe that will remind you and, right. and it actually was really helpful for and him I think when it comes to the exploration of some of those questions and really looking for uh, you know students or young people or families that are trying to develop a deeper theology or reasons for some of the convictions they hold um, I always like to tell them great questions deserve great answers right and so sometimes just the flannel board churchy quick answers they're not sufficient and um, I think my challenge to the doubter is if you're if you've come up with some really great questions those great questions we want to validate them and they deserve great answers and so do the hard work find a mentor a leader a pastor a small group leader a parent a friend a teacher that can come alongside you and help you because those those great questions deserve great answers and i think that's a part of the process and i think that would be one of my push one of my one of the dangers i think um, one of the traps that we can fall into when we're doubting is almost just apathy, right? Or, yeah. or, or at times, and I've been guilty of this, I use my doubt to justify my sin, right? Or I use my doubt to justify my apathy or my disconnection from the community. And so that's where I'm always trying to challenge people who are in a season of doubting, go affirm it. Awesome. Have humility. But those great questions have great answers. Let's go on a journey to find those together and not just settle for the questions. And and those answers aren't going to be found in a two minute question and answer session, right? Yeah, I, I think we've talked a lot about the individual and micro level, but on the macro level, mm-hmm. um, I think that um, one of the things Wayne mentioned is uh, is honesty about how weird this book can be sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that will naturally surface if we're talking mega church status, right? Um, some of that will even surface in our sermons if we are not constantly cherry picking the texts, yeah, right? If we avoid the book of Leviticus over 40 years of church life, then <laughs> then we probably have missed... Um, we're missing out on something and, and it'll probably reveal something about our in, in unwillingness to acknowledge the weird and the difficult yeah. and the strange. And so on the macro level, I think it's really important that um, even maybe intentionally choose some of those texts that are problematic to go through with the, the church, right? And not in a, and I, I know that a, ch- a sermon is not meant, like, I don't think the point should be to instill doubt. Yeah. But I think it provides an opportunity to wrestle with something that is more difficult than something they can find on a bumper sticker. I um I recently gave a sermon to our church about doubt, and I had this guy come up to me afterwards, and he's in his fifties, and he's crying, and he's like, "Dude, I've I just got diagnosed with cancer. Like, it does not look mm-hmm. good for me, and I'm angry at God, and like I feel like that's okay to be that way now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's where even in a sermon, even in the macro church level, I think to provide room and to create space for people. Even again, I'll go back to Psalm 77. Something I like to do is I like to show people Psalm 77 and say, you know, if you didn't know that was in the Bible, would you think that it would offend God? Like with right. the, the, those, those words of God, have you rejected me? Where are you? I don't see you. I cried out for comfort. I didn't get anything. Those look a lot more like our journal entries and right. less like our maybe unstudied view of the Bible, right? But as you dive into it, you find over and over and over again, book after book after book, tons of permission to wrestle and doubt and question and wonder. For me, it's Ecclesiastes. I I think that might be the most accessible book, right? I mean, it's... 
Yeah, I mean, it just almost like enough said there. Like, it just, it just is like, no. Here's the here's the reality. Sometimes things suck. Yeah. And even though, yeah, you might have read Proverbs and it said things are going to be good. No, sometimes things suck. Sometimes really. And you see that reflected in the Psalms, right? Like all these bad people around me are prospering. Like what's going on? And and I I think that that tells us like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Sometimes things suck. Sometimes things are weird. Sometimes there's this mystical side of God, right? There's this mystical side of God that we don't understand. The psalmist also reminds us, in your presence, God, I'm not going to get you. And, and so to walk around, what a weird thing that we've done unintentionally, you know, hopefully, or else it's diabolical. But unintentionally, we've created this culture where we are so certain of everything that we know about Christianity and Scripture that when we do have some sort of doubt, we repress it, right? Because doubt somehow equates, like, I don't have faith anymore, or doubt maybe somehow, maybe I'm not in, maybe. Maybe right. maybe my right. it, my salvation is at stake and if I wh- doubt. But but then in the Shema, you have mm-hmm. God telling his like teaching his people how to love him. Like I want you to love me with all of your heart. That part like my mom. I just shared with you on the my mom's dealing with some cancer crap right now. There's part yeah. of me that is questioning God's goodness. Yeah. There's part of me that's questioning God's plan right now. Yeah. That doesn't mean I hate him. Right. Doesn't mean he hates me. I mean even me saying that he's not going to smite me with right. a with a lightning bolt. And like, that doesn't that's invalidate reality. you as a teacher, no, as a no. leader, as a communicator. What it tells me is I'm pursuing God. Right. Um, I know that if I'm pursuing my wife, right. I should I should I should anticipate moments of tension if yeah. I'm really pursuing her and she's pursuing me. But if we stay at the surface level mm. and everything's hunky dory in our marriage and we're never really like growing then we're never going to have that tension and so we have this weird i mean i almost feel like this could be like the the beginning of the talk yeah but even just our 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 view of doubt within the christian culture Mm. for so many of us it is seen as taboo Mm. i'd I'd like to encourage people to reevaluate that maybe your doubt says that you're actually pursuing god does that make sense? Yeah, and you were, you're sort of getting at the the heart side of it, but I think it's also really important that we acknowledge the the segment of our our family that process process pro, processes predominantly um, cognitively, um, and because I think as sort of one of those people, um, <laughs> as one of those people, um, when I when I hear about like the existential doubt side of it, um, there most of that doesn't do anything inside of me. I'm thinking, yeah. well, okay, well, let, let's figure out some sort of like rationalistic way of right. that God could still be good and your mom can have cancer. Um, yeah. Now, like most people are not going to be in that space. Right. However, if we neglect that mm. sect of our family, what we end up doing is saying intellect is for the atheist um, and heart is for the Christian, right. right? Because God tells us to love him with all of our heart and our mind yeah, as well right. and all of our strength. And so I think that, for that in the macro setting, I think what that might look like is creating a special forum for Mm. that. Hey, like as a community, um, maybe in that sermon on Psalm 77, you can say, Hey, as a community, um, we value authentic, honest, humble inquiry into theology and, and these ideas and questions. And so we've created this forum once every month on a Saturday night where we get together and and we, we dig through some of these really difficult questions and we'll hire, um, like we'll get a speaker who can answer some of them or maybe even raise some of those questions. But, but by doing that in the community, in the community, you then create a culture that shows that you value that sort of stuff. That's good. So as we wrap up guys, I mean, I think, you know, to borrow Google's term, like how cool if the church and the classroom and the small group became the places where psychological safety was valued and a place where you could ask any question. You could, you didn't have to worry about losing everything. You didn't feel like you were risking it all to just simply ask questions, doubt, wrestle. Um, We have a long biblical history, a long Jewish Christian history of wrestling with God, wrestling with the text. And I think 
think um, you know that stuff will hopefully become more and more predominant in our churches. Maybe one last. Would you guys offer? Would you guys offer like one? What's like one last comment or one last thought that you'd like to share? I think the the last thing that I would say is. Um, to remind us that the point of the doubt, that the point of creating the space, kind of like the disciples, is so that people can have that encounter with Jesus. Whether it's create, if if it's creating cognitive space or um, emotional space, uh, whatever that psychological safety looks like, um, when we create that space, it's important to remember that the space is not the end. Right, that is not the goal, but the goal is that they would then, as a result, put their finger in Jesus's handhole, right, and and be able to experience him, um, and, and have that doubt met, maybe in really unconventional ways, but the goal is to get them to Jesus. Yeah, that's, good. Yeah, that's huge. Um, yeah, just practically speaking, um, I think if you are currently experiencing doubt and you find yourself um, isolated. Um, that it would be an imperative that you find community, and sometimes community is just one other person. Um, so isolation and doubt don't always equate um, good things. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important. And then to those of us in communities who have people who are doubting, um, um, what's a good way to put it? Uh, well, I guess kind of like what we were saying earlier, like just be willing to to walk alongside people uh, and to be there. You don't have to you don't have to have the answers. You don't have to be the therapist. You don't have to be the theologian. Um, I know when I've gone through trauma in life, I know Chris has gone through some. I, I know you've had some rough patches as well. And, um, you know, I look back and, and the people who had the most impact were the ones who were willing to just sit with me um, and, and um, just just borrow a term that I, I stole from another friend, you know, this idea of, you know, during those moments, it's like, we're, it's like sitting in a burning house and, yeah. and, um, they, we have certain people in our life who are willing to come in and sit alongside of us and yeah. burn. Yeah. Um, and yeah. That's so, good. so, so make yourself available to burn yeah. with other people That's good. and, uh, make sure that you're in community. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then I would just, I guess the one last practical challenge, um, if if you don't have tension, so I'm gonna I'm gonna back away from the word doubt, mm-hmm. but if if you don't have tension in your relationship with God, mm. um, I would challenge you to really look at your relationship and, and identify those areas. Yeah. Um, one of my mentors used to always ask me, "Where's your tension out now?" And the reason he asked that, he says, is because if you have tension, then you're pursuing God. And sometimes yeah. tension, part of that process, will be doubt. Yeah. Right. Um, um, but if if I'm just safe and everything's hunky dory, mm. I might not be. be pursuing his goodness. Yeah. yeah. At some point you got to get out of the boat. Yeah. Right? You got to get out of that yeah. safe boat. Um, that's good. I think my last closing thought, it would just be to some of our parents out there or people who either work closely with or live with younger people. Um, I think they're looking to us to give them the safety and the room to ask some of those big questions. And we may need to model that by opening those conversations. And some of us in parental or leadership roles might be afraid of that, right? Because you don't know exactly where that's going to lead. And the last thing you want to do is like deconstruct a student's faith. And, (laughs) And I think, you know, just like you both were saying, as we come alongside them, we help them reconstruct. But to help, I think, to help a student, especially before they go off to college, um, to help them really wrestle within a safe community, within safe relationships, 
to wrestle with some of these deeper topics um, is absolutely critical for lifelong faith in Christ, lifelong commitment to the local church is they've got to, um, they've got to know how to wrestle. And, and I would say doubt like Thomas, right. right? So, so Thomas isn't the antithesis of the Christian. Um, he's actually our example. He's our example of, of what doubting looks like in a really faithful way. Thanks for listening to Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. Again, be sure to check out Eric's podcast, Purpose HSM Podcast, um, where you can find it at media.purposechurch.com. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. Confessions HSBT is our handle on Instagram and Twitter. And you can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash chsbt.